Hello and welcome to the Amateur Austenite. My name is Frances Duncan. I am an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. My co-host is my friend Sean. Good evening. And today we're discussing chapter 34 of Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. Edmund comes home. He's shocked to discover the Crawfords are still there, also secretly pleased. Sir Thomas tells him about Fanny and Mr. Crawford. He's on his father's side of the argument. Fanny wishes that he wasn't. Actually, I'm not sure if Fanny knows. Mr. Crawford stays for dinner, reads Shakespeare. Fanny gets enraptured. He tries to get her to talk. She avoids him. Then he's talking to Edmund about giving speeches, particularly as a clergyman. And Fanny accidentally shakes her head. Then Mr. Crawford basically attacks her, sits down, tries to draw things out of her. She tries to repel him. It does not work. One of the most uncomfortable evenings, I should think. We were saying that everyone is against her, but technically they're not against her. They want the best for her, and they think this is the best thing for her. They are seeing what they want to see. It's just unfortunate that this is not what she wants. No. And no one seems to be listening to that. And this chapter actually reinforces the drama of the play where Crawford was the best actor. Is he still acting? Oh, that's a good point. Is that what she's seeing? This is all an act? Because he does have a very impassioned speech to her. The last page of the chapter is this beautiful speech calling her almost an angel. And his ability to read effectively. But then he goes into this... Boring monologue? No, no, it's not a boring monologue, but it's a narcissistic sort of, I could make a good clergyman, but I'd only want to preach twice a year. And only to those people who are well-educated enough to be able to understand my erudite wit. You don't understand what being a minister is all about, which is the contrast between him and Edmund. Yes, you need to be able to inspire people with your speeches, but actually it is more about your behaviours. And Mr Crawford does not have that bit down. What's happening here is she's listening to that. Yes, she enjoys it from an oral perspective, but there's also this question in her mind about It's still all an act. It's still a performance. So the first night that Edmund's home, he and his father stay after dinner before joining the woman in the drawing room, as they always do, but slightly longer than normal because Sir Thomas is filling him in on the history of Fanny and Mr Crawford. And he was, in fact, entirely on his father's side of the question. But unlike his father, he is aware that Fanny does not consider Mr Crawford with anything like preference. He'd always believed it to be rather the reverse. He does think, though, that Mr. Crawford has a chance. He had not given her time to attach herself. And I think that is actually a really fair conclusion for Edmund to make. Henry Crawford's chased ahead like a bull in a china shop. He's not given Fanny the time to see his behaviours different. Were there any other attractive females around? He didn't take any notice of her while they were the other Bertram sisters. But even though he's declared himself, it still comes back to he hasn't demonstrated steadiness of character. He's all charm. And that steadiness is exactly what Sir Thomas and Edmund both want him to have. They want him to persevere. Edmund thinks Fanny was worth it all. He held her to be worth every effort of patience, every exertion of mind. But this made us laugh when we read it. He did not think he could have gone on himself with any woman breathing without something more to warm his courage. Yes. He noticed it was not just diffidence or shyness. It was, I am not interested. (laughs) She shows no encouragement whatsoever. But of course, Edmund knows her. And she knows. Mr. Crawford does not. 
Edmund knows if he'd got into that kind of discussion with her, she would have made it much more interesting and lively because it would have been a discussion. Mm. Whereas what you've got is Henry digging a bigger hole for himself. Mr. Crawford does a reading from Shakespeare. It was truly dramatic. And there's greater enjoyment for Fanny than there was in the theatre because it came unexpectedly and there was no such drawback as she had been used to suffer in seeing him on the stage with Mm. Miss Bertram. She'd always thought he was the best actor and enjoyed his acting, but had felt uncomfortable. Almost like a voyeur, because when he was acting the part, ironically the son, but he was very close physically to Mariah Bertram. He might be saying the words a son-mother relationship, but that wasn't how it was being acted out. People had so few opportunities to be physically close. When you danced, you could touch hands, but you didn't put arms around waists. And generally, you would still have gloved hands, so you would not be touching mm. skin. The theatre gave them license to be physically close with each other. They were hugging which is highly inappropriate. Yes. All that's going through Fanny's mind is thinking of that whole theatre experience and how it influenced her judgment of Henry Crawford. He unwittingly is actually just reinforcing that. It's interesting because Edmund sees it the other way. He's like, look, she's interested in him. This is fantastic. But yes, she may be enjoying the reading, but as you say, it brings back the theatre... Edmund supposes that Mr. Crawford must know Shakespeare very well. Mr. Crawford says, Shakespeare one gets acquainted with without knowing how. Which is quite true for a boy's education, classical education, because it was what you needed to know about. There would have been amateur plays of little sections and things like that at home. And being in London, he would have seen some of the productions. And I imagine Mr. Crawford enjoys the theatre. Oh, absolutely. I bet he does. I saw Julius Caesar acted in Wellington last year or the year before. I'd never seen it before, but a lot of the words were really familiar. They were everyday sayings. So much of what's in Shakespeare has now become common parlance. They're so common now, we don't remember, we don't know about the source. So you've got people who know the phrases, use the phrases, have no idea where it's come from originally. Edmund and Mr. Crawford start talking about the service. They mean the service in church. Edmund's gone through it once, so Mr. Crawford asks him a whole bunch of questions and is super interested by it. And Edmund's really happy about this. He thinks this is the way to Fanny's heart. She was not to be worn by all that gallantry and wit and good nature together could do without the assistance of sentiment and feeling and seriousness on serious subjects. Unfortunately, Mr. Crawford then puts his foot in it, (laughs) saying that he has more than half a mind to take orders and preach myself, but not for a constancy. It would not do for a constancy. And that word in particular, Fanny reacts to. She's tried so hard to keep out of their conversation, not say anything, not do anything, but she shakes her head. And kicks herself for it immediately after. Yes, and he notices. She tries to do everything in her power of her modest, gentle nature to repulse Mr. Crawford. But he was unrepulsable. Yeah, I love that. I love that. (laughs) I'm not sure if it was a word before it was in here. I love it, though. He goes at her, does not give her a space. Eventually, she says, 
I thought it was a pity. You did not always know yourself as well as you seemed to at that moment. And instead of repulsing him as she had hoped, he's super excited that he's got more words out of her. It's a reaction. Edmund takes up a paper and sits in the corner to give them privacy. Lady Bertram's being just on the other side of the table was a trifle, for she might always be considered as only half awake. Lady Bertram earlier had said, it's like being at a theatre. I think you'll get a theatre at your house. And Mr Crawford looks at Fanny as if to say, oh no, she'd never let me have one. But not in a naughty schoolboy sort of way. In a respectful, I wouldn't do that because it would upset her. He says to her, you think me unsteady, which is true. Absence, distance, time shall speak for me. It is he who sees and worships your merit, the strongest, who loves you the most devotedly, that has the best right to a return. He does have a really beautiful speech for Fanny, but he's still not listening to her or her body language, all of which is telling him to fuck off. Politely. I'm glad you added that. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually the tea things turn up and Fanny is delivered from a grievous imprisonment of body and mind. He has trapped her. She is stuck talking to him. She is too polite to be able to move away. It's possible that he may have positioned himself in such a way that she may not have actually been able to get out of it. I had this vision of moving his chair and her moving her chair a little bit more and him moving his. (laughs) Like a charming version of Mr Collins. Does not listen to feedback. And then like Wickham, easy temptation is too easy to say yes. I wonder if he would have behaved this way if Sir Thomas was there. Whether Sir Thomas would have been like, of course, go ahead, young man. (laughs) Imprison my niece in her chair. Chat her up. Or whether he would have gone, that's a little inappropriate. I think you need to give her some space. I think he probably wouldn't have done it quite the same way. But you can get away with basically anything in front of Lady Bertram. She's no chaperone. And Edmund is not as imposing as Sir Thomas. It was probably one of the most uncomfortable evenings one could ever hope to spend, really. Trying to repulse the unrepulsible. (laughs) It's not fair that Fanny is put in that position. No, her family, Sir Thomas and Edmund particularly, who I mean, they are the only two who really care about her when it boils down to it. Um, They're not malicious about it. They're not... They're thinking that she's a young woman who doesn't yet know her mind and the opportunity that she's there. And Edmund's just thinking she's not had the opportunity to see him in a good light for long enough. And his way of going about it is just too fast, you know, because he knows how she is and that she wouldn't just change her mind very quickly. He refers to sort of how Crawford is pushing just a little bit too soon, too much too soon. I think Fanny's not the sort that would respond well to grand gestures. She needs the quietness and a little bit of building on things rather than, I'm in love with you and fireworks. And they actually did that in the 1999 movie, Fireworks and Doves, I believe. From Crawford. From Crawford. (laughs) That would not. No, it does not work for Fanny. But caring about her brother, getting him a commission, that is the way to Fanny's heart. Maybe he only did it because he was trying to get to Fanny's heart. But he's done it now and it's there and she was grateful, she was surprised. But it's, again, this he just, he's pushing too fast, too quick, and he hasn't really got a chance to get to know her. Hasn't really given her a chance to talk about what interests her or, or anything. It's still all about him. 
Yeah, they do have quite a superficial relationship still. There's no depth of knowledge about each other. That is our summary of Chapter 34 of Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. My name is Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan. Thank you for listening and we wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. Here's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice Heavily Pride-focused merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!